Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. When I was three, my mum took my brother and I shopping. Might have been Christmas time, who knows? Let's just say it was Christmas time. Bit of creative license with the story here. Took us shopping to Carlingford Court. I grew up in Epping. We went down to Carlingford Court. That was our local. And I was the first to be to get out of the car or be gotten out of the car, whichever way it went. And mum said, stand there while I get your baby six-month-old brother out of the car. Now, in my defence, it's quite boring when you're three to stand on the spot while your mother gets your baby brother out of the car, right? It's boring. It was taking a while and I grew weary of waiting, just there, standing there. And then in my weariness, something caught my eye just over there. It was the lift doors opening. That looked like an adventure. So in I went and closed they did and up I went and I ended up in the place that I always do, David Jones. <laughs> Thus began a long tradition of my life. And um, I live to tell the tale, obviously, some kind lady found me and my mum found me not long later, sitting up on the register having a good old chat. Again, typical, <laughs> having a chat with this lady uh, in David Jones. My question for you this morning is this. Have you ever grown weary and been distracted by something and wandered away from where you were meant to be. Because this thing promised to fulfill the weariness that you were feeling, promised to fulfill the desires that were unfulfilled. And so you wandered to this thing that was so captivating to you, that was so appealing to you. Have you had that experience? Probably wasn't deliberate wandering, but when we're weary, right? When we grow disheartened, when the thing that we're journeying towards or waiting for is a really long time coming, it can be really hard not to give up and other things can start to look very attractive to us. It might be the promise of a way to get rich quick. It might be the promise of a more fulfilling relationship. It might be the promise of how sweet revenge will taste. It could be the knowledge that work is always there for you to throw yourself into. Or have you wandered away from God at some point in your life? Because something has happened in your life, in your world and the frame of reference through which you have always seen God no longer is able to support and accommodate this new experience that you've had. And it's too much and something distracts you and you find yourself wandering. I don't know if you've noticed, but our lives always seem to move in the direction of the thing that holds our attention the most. Have you noticed that? They say in sales and marketing that it's not enough simply to get someone's attention. You have to hold their attention. Because if you're able to hold their attention, then you've got a chance of impacting first their emotions and then their actions. The key, that where the whole thing starts, is getting and then holding somebody's attention. Whatever gets your attention gets your heart and then your life. Let me say that again. Whatever gets your attention gets your heart and then your life. 
And so let me ask you this morning, what captivates your attention? I don't I think if we had a show of hands, there would be no one in the room who's not tired on the 16th of December. <laughs> we're weary, that's a given. And so when we're weary, what is it that when we're most susceptible to distraction? What is it that captivates your attention? What do you find yourself thinking about when your mind wanders? What wakes you up in the middle of the night? What gets you up without an alarm clock? What has an almost involuntary pull on your life? What does your time and your money easily gravitate towards? It might be your career plan, a budget for a project you're working on, a dream you're pursuing, a savings goal, your child's school report card, your crush's Facebook page. Anyone ever experienced the gravitational pull of a crush's Facebook page? I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, me and Sam only. <laughs> the pastors. <laughs> it was Kristen's. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. How many kilos you're lifting at the gym? What your calorie count is up to for the day? What new car to buy? What do you pay the most attention to? Do you pay attention to what you're paying attention to? There's a question. What do you find captivating, especially when you're weary and especially when God doesn't seem to fit within your frame of reference? The way you've always viewed him. Now, this passage is a great gift to us this morning. If you are tired, if you are weary, that's all of us, I think. If you've been waiting for God to come through. And frankly, if you're about ready to give up on him, and perhaps you already have, I believe this passage has a powerful message for you this morning. Come with me to verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, this passage is quite well known. I'm sure a number of us in the room have heard this before. And it's designed to be inspiring. It's designed to be encouraging. But do you know what? If I'm honest when I read this, I'm like, really, I am so exhausted. And you want me to throw off the sin that is entangling me and keep running down this race, this path that has been marked out for, for, for me? Are you kidding? I'm exhausted. How on earth am I supposed to do that? Is it enough that there's all these dead people watching me, this great cloud of witnesses? How, how is that supposed to be inspiring? Like, really? Really and truly? Great. I see dead people. I'm so inspired. Like, is this actually, is this actually encouraging? Is this actually inspiring? Well, let's back it up a little bit. There is, I promise you, there is inspiration embedded in this. Let's just pan the camera back a little bit, see the big picture. Uh, the passage, what this talk is talking about is it's you, the writer of the Hebrews, who we don't know who they were, they're anonymous, is using this, um, a picture of a Greek um, stadium, there's a sporting stadium where there's some athletes uh, doing their thing. And there's thousands and thousands of God's people through the ages uh, who have lived, faithfully lived their lives for God until the end, cheering you on and saying, look, if I can do it, you can do it. I made it to the end. I know that you can make it to the end. Keep going. You can do it. And they're primar- they're, they are there primarily not to watch us, but for us to look at them. Say, so yes, they've gone before me and they managed to do it. 
They managed to persevere. They put one foot in front of the other and they kept going. People have done it before and we can do it. They're saying, yes, it's possible. Yes, it's worth it. Keep going. You can do it. Now, the Greeks, as you may know, in their sporting, literally threw everything off in the, in the uh, pursuit of pace. Nothing, nothing at all. They didn't want to have anything on them to slow them down from moving forward and winning the race. And the language here, when the passage talks about throw off the sin that so easily entangles, that language, their sin, has kind of two different overtones there. The writer's been quite clever there in the use. One of them... The sin that so easily entangles is talking about the sin that, that clings so closely. You know how athletes today have very close clinging clothing. Close clinging. That was amazing alliteration. Did anyone else catch that? Close clinging clothing. Anyway, just an aside. I'm into language and English, if you didn't know, so that's just why I find that exciting. They have very close clinging clothing, and, and the Greeks were like, nah, I don't want any of that. Nothing that's going to hinder me, nothing that's going to hold me back. I want to throw it all off. The other interesting use of the word sin, the other overtone of the word sin there, interestingly, in this series, is to wander. To wander from the way of God. To wander from the path that he has marked out from you. And wandering entangles. Wandering holds you back. Wandering um, inhibits your limbs from free movement. You know when you're running, there's, a joy, there's effort, but there's joy and there's exhilaration and there's freedom in your limbs and your movement, if you're, if you're running in the way that running is ultimately designed to be. But wandering, what wandering does is it binds up your limbs. What sin does binds up your limbs and inhibits you from moving freely down this path that God has laid ahead of you and created you to walk freely down. Now, wandering uh, is to turn to pursue something else other than God, other than his call on your life. That's little three-year-old me seeing the lifts go bing, and walking in, I wandered away because something distracted me. Wandering is something that, is, that God's people have also been doing all through the ages. Uh, there's something in us as humans that has this spiritual tendency to slacken in our resolve and to go after other things other than God. And in fact, in, at one point in history, God's people wandered so much. It started in their hearts and it led to their lives, as I was saying before. They wandered so much that they wandered around in a restless wilderness for 40 years. Remember reading about that? 40 years of wandering... The writer to the Hebrews says earlier in this book, says this, So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. That's the 40 years of wandering. Where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did and persisted in their wandering. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said, don't miss this, their hearts are always going astray. Starts in the heart. They have not known my ways. They've wandered, gone astray. And so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. There is something about wandering that leads, leads us to a sense of internal restlessness. It's not where we're designed to be. It's not our home. See to it then, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, unbelieving, unfaithful, faithless. Belief and faith are all, and um, trust are all kind of the same word in the Greek language. See to it that none of you has a sinful, unfaithful heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, 
as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Isn't that so true? We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. If we persevere, if we keep going, if we cheer one another on, if we take inspiration from those who have gone before us. Now, when life gets challenging and God doesn't seem to be coming through for us, I get the temptation to give up on him. I get the temptation to go a different way, to find something or someone else to help you make sense of life or at the very least to help you feel better about life. But do you know, do you, did you hear this passage? Do you get what it's saying? It's saying that wandering entangles you. It stops you from moving freely. It stops you from running uh, the course that you were designed, destined to live and to run. It leads to a deep life restlessness. Do you know what I think is one of the main things that holds God's people back from living the lives that they were created to live, from running these glorious races? I think it's distraction. Or at least it begins with distraction. We get weary We get tired, we get disillusioned. We wonder when God is ever going to come through for us. And then off there, something glints at us. We just catch a little bit of a sparkle. And we think, oh, that that is promising to fulfill my unmet desires, which are currently waiting on God. And it's promising me that it will fulfill it instantly. And so before I know it, Usually without even meaning to, I find myself wandering because my heart and my life moves in the direction of that which has my attention. And all of a sudden I find myself over here. It looks so sparkly, but really all it was was a chocolate-coated snare. Anyone experience that? That which we have the greatest sense of wonder about is that which we wander after, isn't it? Whatever has our attention gets our heart and our life. It's the thing that not only captivates our attention but shapes our heart and our lives, the things we wonder most about. And to put it plainly, it's the thing that we worship. It's the thing that we worship in our heart of hearts. It might not look like it on the surface, but, but it is. As a bit of an aside, what this looked like for me uh, in my life was very subtle. It was not something that people would necessarily have been able to pick from the surface, which is what made it particularly dangerous. Uh, but nonetheless, um, as I discovered, sometimes we think we're worshipping Jesus and we can do all the external things that look to everybody else like we're worshipping Jesus, like coming to church, like serving in church by being nice to other people. But actually in our heart of hearts, something else has our attention and our heart and is shaping our lives underneath the surface. When I was in my early 20s, I had this idea one day that I was going to move to France and start this Christian youth organisation over there. What's that? Distractions. Distractions. Thank you, Michael McQueen. Stay on task. (laughs) Thank you. Cheering me on. I'm just going to start that again. When I was in my early 20s, (laughs) I had this idea that I was going to move to France and start this Christian youth organisation over there. 
It was going to be amazing and it was going to make me amazing. You see where this is going, don't you? (laughs) Over the following eight years, that idea turned into a dream, it turned into a vision, turned into probably something of an obsession. And then after those eight years, I found myself over in France meeting with youth pastors, meeting with missionaries. I found myself at this massive, big, random European Christian scout conference, meeting with French people and trying to see if this thing actually would be a blessing to their country, to, their, to the church over there. Met with the, the English headquarters of this organisation to see if this was something they'd give me the green light to pursue. I, in my church, I did this like PowerPoint presentation. I started a blog. So I was very public with it in, within my kind of world, within my circles. And, um, and then nine, a year later, nine years after I'd originally had this idea, I was in church one day. God said to me, as clear as, clear as I've ever heard him, I want you to put it down. And I burst into tears. And I went out the back with one of my friends and still in floods of tears. And I said to her, I actually don't know who I'll be if I put this down. Talk about entangled. I actually don't know who I'd be. It had become so fused with my sense of self, with my sense of value, with my identity that I, I could not tell my, myself apart from this dream that had just blown right out of proportion, that I was worshipping effectively. And it's as if God, well, God probably did, God did say to me that it's, the, the reason for this is that this dream has driven, not only has it driven a wedge in your relationship with me because you're looking to it for your significance, for your worth, it, you're worshipping it, but also it's driven a wedge in your relationship with everybody else because you're living as if you've already got one foot on the plane. You're not investing where you are. It's, this has entangled you and you need to put it down because, it's not, because I love you and this is really, it's choking the life from you. You need to put it down. From then, it was an 18-month process of putting it down, of grieving the loss of that dream that had become so caught up with my sense of self and my value. 18 months until I could say, yep, I, I'm, I, am, I am loved, I'm valuable even without this thing. This stuff is very insidious. Nobody, nobody would have had any, I didn't have any idea, nobody about God had any idea that that's what was going on beneath the surface for me. It's moments like this that we stop and that God examines our hearts for us because he loves us to help us see the, the, the places in our hearts where something has caught our attention that we think is going to fulfill our desires, fulfill us as people. And we wander after them and it starts to choke us and entangle us and inhibit freedom. And in love, God comes to us and he says, no, 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 I need you to put it down because actually it's not good for you. Freedom is found in fixing your eyes on me, in, follow, in walking at, persevering in walking out this path that I have laid ahead of you. And what happened to me is that when all that went pear-shaped, I, I gave up on God for a season of time, a period of time. I gave up on him because I thought that I was worshipping him and life went pear-shaped and so I blamed God See how this works? Actually, God wasn't to blame. And I wonder if some of you are in the room today where the same thing has happened for you, where you've blamed God for something that's gone wrong, whereas actually your heart had gotten distracted by something else unbeknownst to you. And this other thing has let you down. 
but you think it's God. And there's a shift of perspective, there's a reframing of your frame of reference to see that accurately. And it's these moments where God pushes in on us on this deep stuff and says, I want to show you what's actually going on in your heart of hearts beneath the surface so that you might experience freedom. Maybe you've placed all your faith in that deal coming through and it doesn't. Maybe you've had a change of role at work. Maybe the relationship you thought was the one breaks up. And you are this close to walking away from God as a result. Because it looks like it's him. That he's let you down. That he's no longer with you. Would you wonder with me, could it be possible that you've had your faith fastened to something other than Jesus? You probably know right now if that's you. (laughs) You probably know what your faith has been fastened to. We must throw off the sin that entangles the going after other things other than Jesus. They're only empty promises, empty promises that hold us back from living the lives of freedom that we were created to live. Now you might say, okay, I might throw all of these things off, but I've still got to keep going. And it is December the 16th. (laughs) That has not changed in the last 15 minutes. I might throw all this stuff off. I might be free, but I still need to keep going. I don't have the strength for that right now. What I love about our Jesus is that he always makes the first move towards us to help us in our weakness. He doesn't expect us to persevere on our own, to somehow magically pull the strength out of nowhere. No, he supplies it. As we shift our gaze off that which distracts us, and as we see in verse 2, we fix our eyes on Jesus, our pioneer who went ahead of us, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We find that he is so glorious and so wonderful that as an ever-deepening attention to Jesus develops within us, we become transfixed by him. Do you know what transfixed means? means to be rendered motionless in wonder. When was the last time you looked at Jesus for long enough, with enough stillness, that you were rendered motionless in wonder? He is wonderful, our Jesus always has been, always will be. No matter the season, that is the truth of it. We see that at Christmas, don't we? That God himself became a baby. What would happen if you let yourself think about that, to mull it over, to throw it around in your mind? until it causes you to go, wow. God, you did that for me. There is stillness and there is awe and there is wonder. 
and with our hearts transfixed by him and inspired by the way that he endured the cross after he grew up and scorned its shame and in awe of how he now sits at the right hand of God himself in heaven. Having endured such intense opposition, do you know what? Our hearts and our lives will not be able to help but follow after him because our hearts and our lives follow after that which holds our attention, follow after that about which we wonder the most. So as we, as we pause, as we look on him, as we give him our attention, we will be transfixed, we will be taken up in wonder and our hearts and our lives will simply follow. And we will persevere because of who he is, purely because of who he is, wonderful. And don't get me wrong, this race is challenging and we should expect it to be. The fact that Jesus is wonderful doesn't make the race itself less challenging. Do you know what the Greek word for race is? It's agona. What does that sound like? Agony. <laughs> Literally, it's agona. If something is an agona, <laughs> it's probably not going to be a walk in the park. It's going to be challenging, but the fact that it is demanding, the fact that it is challenging does not make it wrong, does not make it something to not do, doesn't mean that you're not up for the task, doesn't mean that you're not, that you can't do it. You have a cloud of witnesses cheering you on, saying, if I could do it, you can do it, because we have the same God. He was wonderful when I was around. He's still wonderful today. Give him your attention and let your heart and life follow. You know, Jesus finished his race so perfectly, so perfectly, not just, and not just as an inspiration and an example for us. He lived the perfect life. Never, can you imagine? Never once wandering from the Father. Not once. I find that hard to imagine, but I believe it. <laughs> never once wandering from the Father and dying the death that we deserve to die for our wandering in order that God might embrace us. In so, and in so doing, do you know what he did? He opened the way to wonderland so that we might follow him. He opened the way, he's our pioneer, so that we might have access to a place, a realm within which we have full access to God's presence unobstructed, where we can see him clearly, where our hearts can be lifted up in awe and in wonder of his glory and his majesty and his beauty. He opened the way to wonderland. That's how perfectly he lived his life. I love that he did that. I love that I have the opportunity to be utterly transfixed by my Saviour and his love for me. Do you know how he opened the way to Wonderland, how he made it possible for me to be transfixed by him? He was first transfixed for me and for you. Do you know what else transfixed means? It means pierced. Hanging on the cross, he was pierced, transfixed, 
to open the way to Wonderland so that you and I and the whole world might have access to the presence of God himself, Wonderland, and be transfixed by him, the one who was first transfixed for us. What a saviour. What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Wonderful. And so we move forward, church. We persevere, caught up in wonderland, transfixed by our Savior and his love for us. We persevere, not because we're trying, but because he has our attention and our hearts and our lives can't help but follow. We have an opportunity this Christmas to wonder again. To wonder afresh whether you're a Christian, whether you're looking in on all of this today from the outside and thinking, oh, that's interesting, or thinking, oh, that sounds crazy, (laughs) whatever it might be. We all have an opportunity this morning to wonder again. I want to ask you this morning, what, what has been holding your attention We're going to have some space for reflection in a moment, a space for response to God primarily. You might want to say, God, I am so sorry. I have wandered. I got distracted in my weariness and something else has caught my heart and my life. I'll put it down and I want to come back to you and receive your freedom. Experience Wonderland. Maybe you're captivated afresh by this idea of God becoming a baby and the wonder in that. Would you wonder upon that in the moments that follow? And maybe if you're looking in on all of this, something that has happened this morning in here has piqued your curiosity, shifted your frame of reference slightly. Could I ask you, would you wonder? Would you wonder if this might be real, if this might be true? what that might mean for you. I'm going to pray and then we'll enter into a time of response. Lord Jesus, I thank you for opening the way to Wonderland by being transfixed for us, that we might be transfixed by you. In these moments that follow God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would lift our eyes and lift our hearts, that you would open open them up, God, to wonder afresh, whatever it is that we're wondering about. Would we be caught up in wonder of you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.